welcome to Picture the Scene podcast, hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Rachel. Now, please note that this is a true crime podcast, so listener caution is advised. Now, we'd love you to interact with us on our social medias. And uh, for you to do so, I'll leave a link in the show notes for all of the ones that we have. And for those of you that Miss Rachel mentioned in the last episode, we are actually together right now. So, it's really weird, we're in the same room. Usually, we're in different countries, so that makes it impossible to record in the same room as each other. But this time we're not. Now, don't worry. Um, I wouldn't do this as I don't want my name on a register, but I can actually reach out and touch Rachel if I wanted to. She's that close. <laughs> Is that it? That You're making it sound a bit weird. But, yes. um, but yeah, we're in a soundproof booth. And, uh, yeah, we've got, well, I thought it was soundproof. It might not be. The guys next to us working might be like, what the hell are they talking about? But no, it's very cool to be here, and uh, nice to meet Andrew. And he finally gave me a gift that he picked up from um, CrimeCon last year. So I am the official proud owner of a signed copy of the new Millennium Serial Killer. How exciting. By Bethan from Seeing Red. Yep, yep. Sorry, didn't name drop there, did I? Not fangirling correctly. You're not, Rachel. (laughs) Shocking. So the question I have to ask, and one that switches that button on in my head to make me forget to how to pronounce words like and or sausage. Are you ready for some true crime, Rachel? I am very excited for some live person true crime today. This, this is this is exciting, listeners. Um, so, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. I'd like to take us back to the 19th of July, 1996, at 8am in the morning to be exact. And I want to take you to a small town of Clean Forest, which is in Brittany, in the northern west part of France. And local records show the temperature at 43 degrees Fahrenheit or 6 degrees Celsius, which is cold enough. But it was only 8am and it was a midsummer's day in France, so the weather would go on to reach as high as 68 degrees Fahrenheit or 20 degrees Celsius, so it's pleasant enough. Now, Brittany, have you ever been to Brittany? I haven't haven't actually um, been to many places in France, just St. Marlowe on a day trip when I used to live in Jersey. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds nice. Great town, lots of like people travelling in, drinking wine, great French vibes. This is really weird looking at Rachel in the eye. <laughs> it's really off-putting. Um, so, Brittany, Brittany is quite a popular place for British tourists and especially school, school excursions. Now, I'm not sure if they still go on, but it would be quite common in that part of France to see groups of British school children, usually in the early teenage years, with a few teachers exploring all things French and getting to practice their very basic French. No, not having it. Really? They would be terrorising the local villagers, probably, and not practising any French, but using it as an opportunity to be terrorised the first time away from their parents. Quite possibly. <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, also, as Rachel said, in a more blunt form, just to get to spend some time away in an exciting place, away from their parents, with a moderate sense of freedom. Yeah, and probably teachers who don't have children at home and wondered why the hell they signed up for it in the first place. Exactly. So today, I'd like to introduce you to Caroline Dickinson. On the 19th of July, 1996, Caroline was 13 years old and she was on one of those school excursions I mentioned. She was from Launceston in Cornwall, and was a pupil at the community college there, which is a school, and they had arranged a trip to France. Now, at 8am that morning, 
Caroline's body was found, lifeless, in the hostel room she had gone to sleep in the night before. Bloody hell, you just went straight in there, didn't you? And can I just say, for a minute, I mean, I don't know what we were about to record, but I just forgot that we were going to talk about true crime. (laughs) Yeah, well, we got deaf, yeah, but it was Caroline's first school trip abroad, and one she was excited about. She was with 39 other pupils and five teachers, so that's one teacher to every eight pupils on the trip. And she was a member of the school orchestra, had taken ballet lessons, she'd been a brownie, she loved music and playing a clarinet. She sounds like a really well-rounded individual and definitely not part of that crowd that I described earlier about being reprobates away from their parents for the first time. No, actually, her best friend was her 11-year-old sister. So. Oh my god, what a sweetheart! I feel really bad now, like especially knowing that she was found dead. Like, so you should. Yeah, gosh, I'm zipping it. Go for it. She was at that time a happy love child from a love family, and she was adored by all who knew her. Now it is a cliche, but she truly did have a happy and fruitful life ahead of her. Do you just want to like lay it on any thicker now? <laughs> Now, Caroline's mother, Sue Dickinson, said Caroline was a happy girl who loved school and had been excited about travelling to France. She said the last time she had spoken to Caroline was while she was was in France, and she had told her that France was great, but the hostel that she was staying in was a bit crappy. Sounds about right for a hostel. So the school had organised them to stay in a hostel for that part of their trip in the small French town. It had only 3,500 residents, and they were there because it was just south of the Mont St. Michael landmark in France, which was on the school trip's itinerary. A school trip is all about spending time with your friends, having fun, having an adventure, and for Caroline it was no different. When it came to picking rooms to stay in, Caroline adopted to move a mattress between two bunk beds so that she could sleep in the same room as her friends. And that's something I can relate to. Can you, Rachel? Yeah, definitely. Especially, like, if you've got lots of um, groups of friends, lots of people, like, and... Uh, yeah, you want to be a part of it. You definitely don't want to be separated, do you, on first trip away? No. So, around 4am that morning, four hours before a body was found, a man entered a hostel, widely believed, through an unlocked door, and climbed the stairs to the first floor, which held a room that Caroline and her friends were sleeping in. Before she had a chance to do anything, he was attacking her sexually and smothering her face with cotton wool, eventually killing her. Wow. And all the other kids stayed asleep. Well, Caroline's friends mostly slept through the attack. And I say mostly because one of them did awaken slightly, and she thought she heard Caroline's heels banging against the floor, but she put it down to a bad dream and went back to sleep. I know. Imagine, imagine yeah. that. It wouldn't sit nicely with you for the years after, would it? No, it's, it, it's like, you know what I'm about to say next. Um, her friends would now be around 38, 39 years old, and... I'm willing to bet that they still do remember her. They still feel the horror and, sadly, guilt. Now, I say sadly because it's obviously not their fault. They had no part in the evil that was done to her, but that isn't how the mind works, is it? She was their friend, she was in the same room as them, and she would only be in that room because she decided to take a mattress in there to sleep on the floor between them, and they'd feel it even if they shouldn't, and especially the one that thought she heard her heels on the floor. Can you even imagine that? No, and the odds of it having been her, because like you said, she shouldn't have been in that room. She should have been down the corridor a couple of more doors.
outdoors and they their girls would probably have like survivor guilt maybe as well because you know they are around and she's not um that can't sit well with anyone her parents you know anyone no it can't it reminded me this when there was a boy in my school year around that age i didn't really know him that well and um and we didn't have the same circle of friends and he died from cancer he didn't die of anything criminal but he still pops into my head from time to time and I don't want to speak for our listeners but actually like everyone I've lost in my life stays in my memory they still come back from time to time I'm sure that's the same for you yeah absolutely so imagine that when it's someone so young and your friend and it's such a horrible way to die you have to remember they found her body as well oh, oh, I don't think I've got to that bit yet yeah. but yeah they found the body yeah it's yeah, it's just it's tragic circumstances at the best of times to lose a friend. But at thirteen on a school trip away in such awful circumstances to then, yeah, you're gonna get onto it obviously you've just said you will, but um to wake up in the morning and find that scene like, oh, I can't I can't imagine. I can't It's horrible. Now around four AM or just after, one of the teachers heard a noise outside of the hostel and they looked out of their window. And they saw a man driving off on a motorbike. But they didn't think anything of it, so they went back to sleep. So he had, like, by the sounds of it, come with an intention of mind, fulfilled it, and then just left. Yes. Yes. So that brings us back to 8am. Now, all of Caroline's friends wake up. They're excited because it's another day of adventure ahead of them. And they see Caroline has not woken up yet, so they try to raise her from her sleep, only to discover that she's dead. Now, attempts were made to resuscitate her, but ultimately, she'd been dead for a few hours, so it was in vain. So not only did they have acknowledge that they were in a room when it happened, they actually have a horrible memory of finding their friend's body just dead and lifeless. Awful. Now, the head teacher of Caroline's school would go on to say that he was absolutely devastated about her death, and that the reason they'd chosen that particular hostel was because it was quiet and away from any towns, and they would go on to say, and he would go on to say that staff who went on the trip were dedicated and experienced professionals who had his total support. Now, as an aside, the way that was is phrased, and I could be wrong here, as I couldn't find anything. Actually, I should have edited that. We could find something. Um, I'll get on to that later. But it sounds like the blame was being apportioned to the teachers who were supervising the trip. Now, we don't know the ins and outs of what happened on the trip. Only the teachers and the pupils would know that. But while I'm sure mistakes were made, Humans do tend to make mistakes often. I know I do. But we have to remember there's only one person to blame for the death of Caroline. And that's the man who killed her. No one else. Absolutely. I think that at times like this, people are so quick to judge the people protecting and forget the fact that the killer's the one that's committed a crime here. But I would also say anything in life, when when you've got the benefit of hindsight, you can look back and think, I really could have handled that better. I could have done that differently. Do you know what? If you might have done it differently, it might have helped this time, but there could have been another occasion in future where it didn't. So, yeah, benefit of hindsight, always useful, but, like, you can't pin everything on that. Exactly. He chose to enter a hostel. He chose to kill that child. It wasn't a bad decision by her to put the mattress on the floor. It wasn't her friends who didn't wake up. It wasn't a bad decision by the head teacher to pick that hostel or what the teachers did. He chose to go to the hostel. Do you he, think he knew there were kids there? Yes. Wow. He chose to sexually assault her. 
they didn't. They had no prior knowledge it would happen. I didn't put this in the script, so I'll mention it now, as soon as you asked. Uh, yes, the they had to testify in the trial, and they testified that they saw him prior to that day hanging around the hostel. Um, so, and at one point, he walked past one of the girls who had just gone to the toilet and he was walking down the stairs on the hostel and he said that he sniggered at her. So obviously within in mind of what he was planning to do at a later date. Oh my God. Bye. Exactly. But having said that, you can't blame the family of any victim, feeling like the people who were charged with the care of their loved one, in this case Caroline, being at fault if harm comes to that loved one, even if they weren't at fault. Now, Caroline's mother was no exception. And three years after her death, she sued the county, Cornwall County Council, but a judge ruled that the staff who supervised the trip were not at fault. So ultimately, nothing came of that. But, I mean, you can't blame. You're going to be hurting, and you're going to want to blame everyone that you can. I agree, um, and I can't speak for her and what frame of mind she was in. And also that, like you say, neither of us were there, so we can't speak about what happened in the run-up to or in the on the night of for, from the teacher's perspective or the supervisors. But I would say that, you know, everyone will have been affected by it and, you know, raising grievance and suing, like, you know, it's just, to me, it's, you know, maybe like lashing out and, and trying to, you know, see what what can come from such a poor situation but you know i would be inclined to agree that that the judge had that right in that no one was at fault and it was just really unfortunate circumstances i mean if you're going to sue anyone you sue the bastard that took the life not not the teachers exactly you're right and but one body you can apportion some blame to not for caroline's death but for the subsequent handling of the case afterwards was the french police no, they didn't shower themselves in glory on this one, I'm afraid. Can I can I just say as well, you might go on to it, but were the hostel held accountable for e- being so easily easy to break into? And if this guy's been loitering in corridors, like, why was he on the premises when school kids were there? Well, two things. I'm not defending the hostel here. It was a hostel, so lots of people were staying there. And I looked at that, and the reason why, now, I couldn't find definitive proof of this, but... A lot of places said that the reason why the door was unlocked was because it had to be under French law for fire and safety regulations right. so people could get out quickly. Okay. So that's why um, they say he could get in easily because the door couldn't be locked. Okay. Now, yeah, the French police, they handled the case badly from the start. They arrested... Um, well, actually, I, don't, I won't go through scripts. At one point, they kept keeping the other children from the school up to five hours without support, even though their parents were already there, when they, while they spoke to them. What? They arrested a... It wasn't done out of malice, just incompetence, I believe. So just to clarify, the kids were kept away from their parents, being interviewed, and quite distressed already, that then the police didn't do anything to, like help reunite the children with their parents, they just kept them apart. Not for the first few hours, yeah, but then the parents got involved. Interviewed as witnesses, not as suspects. Yeah, yeah. But still, they're 13, 14-year-olds, like, 
have some compassion. But yes, okay. No, they did initially arrest a homeless person quite quickly, but he was not the killer because his DNA didn't match. And they actually arrested a couple of people over the years, but I think it was more of hope, and the DNA never matched with any of them. Over the years? Yeah, I'll get I'll get to... I haven't got to everything yet, but over okay. the years, I told you it was quite incompetence. But ultimately, they had little leads, and they made no progress. Now, days turned into weeks, weeks into months, and months into years. And as we hear in many a true crime case, sadly, the case went cold, and it looked like no one would ever be caught for this crime. But her family never gave up the hunt for her killer, though, with Caroline's father making 18 trips to France over the following four-year period, publicised their case, and to try and keep the appeal for witnesses in people's minds and hopefully bring new evidence to light. What a man. Like, I always have so much, like, respect for these parents and siblings, you know, when their loved ones are missing and they're on the news, they're on planes, they're in the streets, they're working with local authorities, they are tenacious with their campaigns to, you know, get that person's name and their face out there, um, playing for the person to come home or, you know, whatever the circumstances, like, wow, like, they are grieving, but they have this energy in them to keep on going, I just, yeah. And it had an impact. I'll get to why it did have an impact, but it had an impact on the case. In fact, it may never have been solved. It was solved, I'm going to give you that clue now, but it may never have been solved without her father. Oh, that's amazing. In an indirect way, I'll get there. But So while it is sad, like I, say, I can say the case didn't remain unsolved, but it would take quite a left-field way of how this was solved, and it would take a US immigration officer on holiday in the UK almost five years later, in March of 2001, to crack the mystery of who killed Caroline. Oh, wow. I'm intrigued. Yeah, so while he was on holiday to the UK, he was reading an article in the Sunday Times, which only happened because her dad kept the, her death in the media, Papers, yeah. Yeah, about the murder of Caroline and the unsuccessful hunt for her yet-to-be-known killer. Now, after he had returned to Florida... When it's hardly finished, he entered the details of the perpetrator, uh, well, the details that they had, he read about in the Times, into a law enforcement database in his place of work. No way. And it came up with a close enough match. Now, that person was a Spanish citizen called Francisco Arca Montes. So, when he did follow up on that, and it came up with a match of a potential suspect, uh, the DNA test did show a match to Montes. So, the French police issued a warrant for his arrest. And a few months later, in June of 2001, a judge in the United States ruled that Montez should be extradited to France. And in November of that year, he is sent to France to face trial and imprisonment if found guilty. So how long was, how long after the crime did he flee to the US? He didn't flee anywhere. He was there. And the reason why they they found him was because um, he'd been arrested a couple of months before in the US oh, for a sexual crime. I'll get into more detail about the guy now, but but yeah, so it's just pure coincidence that like he read it, he remembered it when he went home. That's amazing. And yeah. Now, he was found guilty on the 14th of July 2004 after a seven-day trial, and he was sentenced to serve 30 years in prison. Now, it's worth noting that in France at the time, I'm not sure about now, every person has an automatic right to an appeal. 
So uh, something Montes decided to use. So nine days later, after he launched his appeal against his murder conviction and his 30-year sentence, now it might be worth noting that the jury at the original trial took only four hours to find him guilty. So it didn't take a lot of deliberation. Now when you've got DNA evidence, you can't really deny that, can you? Yeah. And actually, to be accurate, to his actual conviction was classified as murder, preceded, accompanied by, or followed by rape. So that's the definition they have in France. Yeah. So it's murder either with rape before, during, or after yeah. rape. So now Montes's lawyer argued that in his appeal, while he should be punished, what happened was rape. Mm-hmm. And that happened to have a death to follow afterwards. It wasn't intentional murder, and therefore he shouldn't be convicted of murder. Now, it didn't take long for his appeal to be rejected and his original sentence upheld. Good. Now, Montes declined a chance for a second appeal because you also get an automatic right for a second appeal. Okay. And that meant under French law, he had exhausted all his chances and would remain in prison. Good. How do these people sleep that, that uh, support these appeals? Though? Like, you're arguing a technicality. A 13-year-old has died. He's a paedophile. He's a rapist. He's a murderer. Like, don't argue a technicality. Well, actually, his family said that he was using that to benefit himself because he it felt like he didn't really want, knew he wasn't really going to win the appeal, but he was able to get back on the stand. And he addressed the family and told him that he didn't mean to kill her, he just wanted to rape her. So, And that's going to make somebody feel better? Yeah, well, yeah. No, he wouldn't make him feel better, but obviously he's not right in the head, is he? No, no. And that's just so upsetting. Like, yeah. So let me touch on Montez for a while. Who he was and why he did do this. He had, throughout his life, been a drifter, so to speak moving between countries and from job to job, with a range of jobs ranging from waiter to a lorry driver. And it also came out that he had a habit of stalking young girls and a preference for girls between the age of 12 to 15. It also seemed that he had been com- he had committed sex crimes before. In Germany, he had served three years of a five-year sentence for raping two girls between 1985 and 1988, and he had travelled to France, Holland, Spain, Britain, and the States. Now, apart from the crime I mentioned earlier, he would also later, after his conviction, be tried in Spain for sexual assault, and would be sentenced to 11 years. So when, or if, he ever gets out of prison in France, he would be transported straight to Spain to serve his 11 years there. Now, and the, the US authorities declined to convict him, because if they charge him, because if they would have done, they wouldn't have been able to extradite him. So they, they said, no, we won't do anything. So you could go back to France and obviously a murder charge is more than just a sexual assault charge. Yeah. Uh, now, I can't believe he hadn't committed other crimes, but there was no evidence. Actually, sorry, let me start again. I can't believe he hadn't committed other crimes, but there was evidence that he'd actually tried to attack a school schoolgirl on the same night he killed Caroline, previous to when he killed Caroline. And I say evidence, he actually admitted it himself. He had broken into a hostel. He had begun to attack a schoolgirl, which is another English schoolgirl, because it was another school trip. But her friends had woken up during the act, so he had escaped and made his way to Caroline's hostel. 
I could go into details, but I'm not going to. But yeah, so he was on a mission that night. Yeah. Now he always claimed, both during the first trial and appeal, that he'd only gone into the room to rape her, that he had put cotton wool over her mouth to keep her quiet, and he had no intention of killing her. Now the prosecution disagreed with this, and ultimately the jury didn't agree with it either. Did he? Would he have known? Was this reported anywhere? Would he have known that she was dead when he left? Well, he he claims that he thought she was still breathing when he left, but um, we've held it. English schoolgirl before Caroline described the attack. It was violent. It was probably obvious that he knew he was going to kill her. Now, during his appeal, I told you he made a statement, actually. This is a statement what he said to Caroline's parents. I'm quoting him here. What I did was awful. It was horrendous. I cannot be pardoned. I am sorry and I regret my actions, but I didn't intend to kill your daughter. I want your daughter to be with you at home. I think of my son, and if somebody had done this to my son, I would think like you. I, I don't personally believe him, because he's... I mean, when he was arrested in Germany and went to three years in jail, that was eight years before Caroline. So would he have stopped and done nothing up until that point? And plus, he attacked a girl. I think he was just a serial sex offender. I also think, like, he's saying, I want your daughter to be at home with you. Well, she'd have been a shell of the woman that she would have been previous to the attack because it was so violent anyway, so... You may not have intended to kill her, but she definitely wouldn't have been their daughter ever again. Their innocent 13-year-old, full of life, full of enthusiasm daughter. She'd have been scarred for life from that vile human being. So it's patronising that he would even say that. Like, yeah, that just, you know, that would, yeah. it's That's irresponsible of that. The person that's allowing him up on that stand to make that comment doesn't sit well with it. Well, he had the right to do it. I know it's not right, but he chose to do it, even if his defence said no, he could do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's not right. And that's what her parents said, that the French system at the time was looking after the criminal and not the families of the victims. 100%. Now, it's also believed from one source anyway, and I could only find it in one source, so that a force is in South America, and again, it did state which country, that he had raped and killed several girls there as well. Now, I'm not sure how true that is, because it's just from one source, and it didn't give specifics. But regardless of that, like I said, we have a man who had a self-confessed attraction to schoolgirls between the age of 12 to 15. He had a history of sexual assault and rape, and he moved between countries. Now, to me, probably so he can't get caught. Now, I can't believe that the ones he committed were just the ones he got caught for. And if it hadn't been for that immigration officer on holiday reading a newspaper and having an idea to enter into the US database to see if he had a match, then I doubt he would have ever been caught for Caroline's murder. And he could have committed a lot more crimes. He probably did in between. Um, so, what do you make of that one, Rachel? It's a really unfortunate uh, tale for everyone, apart from, obviously, the fact that the killer got caught and jailed, because he's, he's definitely where he needs to be, behind bars for the rest of his life, hopefully. 
but that's just it's super circumstantial every every stage hey the fact that the original girl her friends woke up and 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 disturbed a rape there and then he went on to find another hostel succeeded in raping but then killing that girl none of her friends were disturbed but then how he was caught as well was really circumstantial wasn't it so um yeah, I mean, how how did you find this case? Like, I found this case. Uh, how did I find this case? It's not something I usually ask you, but uh, but no, this one I can't even scratch my head trying to figure it out. I found this case because I wanted to do a case from the mid nineties, and I actually googled nineteen ninety six murders, UK murders, oh, and then I spent several hours looking at various things, and it, this came up. So, yeah, cool. I like I'd never heard of it before. But for one last time, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. Think back to when you were a teenager. You were happy, carefree, enjoying life, and had no baggage, adulthood brings. You go to sleep one night, looking forward to the adventure of another day. But that day never comes. Now, thank you everyone for listening. This is a special podcast because episode even because I'm in person with Rachel and it's so good seeing the reactions. It's a little bit off-putting because I'm not used to <laughs> looking at her face uh, so close to me while I'm doing it, but but it's excellent. I hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully, it sounds okay. The it sounds like we're in an airplane because we're in a little booth at work yeah. and um, the aircon and stuff. So hopefully, the sound comes through okay. But if not, apologies. Uh, but thank you for listening. Yeah, good to good to have you again, guys. And uh, for me, it's been interesting to uh, watch Andrew do his thing with all the recording as well, because uh, I'm not the brains behind this pod. I'm very much just, you know, I'm lucky enough to turn up and do my thing. But uh, but yeah, I've got to see Andrew in action today, which has been cool. So uh, yeah, it's been nice uh, chatting this one through and uh, speak to you all soon. Great. Thank you all. Goodbye. Thank you all. Goodbye.